So C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis said a lot of stuff, but one of the things C.S. Lewis said was that um, we read books to know that we're not alone. And as we go through 1 Samuel, we're going to meet a whole lot of people. We're going to meet, um, we're going to meet really good people. We're going to meet really bad people. We're going to meet people that just get mentioned in one little blip, but are really important. And we're going to meet people that don't even get names that are super important. And um, as we read this, you might try to relate to it. You might start to relate to it. And you might see the people are in circumstances that you've been in too. And it's, it's real, right? I think, I think the, Lord, the Lord knows what kinds of things, what kinds of peop, peop, things people would deal with for the whole future, for their whole lives, and that he recorded the events of certain people's lives so that his church for all time would always be encouraged by that. So today, we meet Elkanah, who is this guy, and it gives his lineage and it gives his, his genealogy And he has two wives. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. He has two wives. Hannah and Penina. And in their culture at that time, the way they would talk about it is you would name your first wife first and your second wife second. So he probably married Hannah. And um, in their culture, they had multiple wives at the same time. So not, not present, right? So he marries Hannah. Hannah doesn't have any children. And since he's married to Hannah and Penina, some scholars think that he probably married Hannah because he loved her. He married Penina because he had to have kids. And Hannah wasn't giving him any kids. So after some time passed, Penina is kind of tacked on. So then she starts having kids. That kind of makes it worse for Hannah, right? Because he married her. She was the wife of his youth, but she didn't have any kids. And so then Penina kind of becomes the other woman, all that. Even even though culturally they had multiple wives, it was still a problem. If you look through the scriptures, every time they mention somebody having multiple wives... It's always a problem for the people involved. Now, God uses it, and God, God's purposes are not thwarted by all of our... The way we mess things up, God still accomplishes things. But it's a problem. It's a problem for all three of them, really. Because Elkanah, who's the, the husband, he is a righteous man. He is a good, holy man. He wants to serve God with all of his heart and soul. And it's a lot like the book of Ruth that we just read, right? There are people that are doing righteous and holy things. They're not hearing it from the Lord. They just know what the law is. They know what God wants. They fear Him. They love Him. They want to serve Him. So they do things. And all of a sudden, God acts in that. And God works in their their righteous obedience to Him. So He goes up every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. 
Alright, so Shiloh was where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the temple, the tabernacle was. So Joshua and the 12 tribes, they all take the promised land. They come into the promised land. They don't go to Jerusalem. It doesn't start at Jerusalem. It starts at Shiloh, which is like 20 miles north of Jerusalem. And that's where they set up. It's it's really central. It's really in the middle. It's kind of like Indianapolis in all of Indiana, right? Shiloh is where the Ark of the Covenant is. It's where the tabernacle is. And uh, they're not going to build... They're not going to build a temple for another generation or two. It's going to be a while. So... Here's the Ark of the Covenant at Shiloh in the tabernacle. And every year he goes there to sacrifice. He takes his... Oh, and then it gives you this little... It gives you a little hint here. This is in verse 3. Where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. So Hophni and Phinehas, Eli is the high priest. His two sons, they do the whole thing. Elkanah comes and he gives portions to Penina, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. Oh my gosh, you guys. So not only can Hannah not have any kids, but Elkanah gets this second wife and she's just like a baby factory. Sons and daughters all over the place, which is just going to make it make Hannah look even more barren and even more worse. So on some level, we talked about this in Ruth, right? Children, says in Psalms, their heritage from the Lord. Well, in their culture, it was even bigger than just enjoying your grandkids. It was land. It was property. It was inheritance. Like, all that I've worked for for generations and generations, if I don't have kids is all going to go to somebody else when I die. I have to have a son. All the way to the level of if the, if the guy died, that his brother would come and marry his sister-in-law, right? And they would have kids and the first son would be credited to that other guy. That whole thing. That was how important it was that they have kids. So Hannah is just like, oh, I want to have kids so bad. And Penina is like, baby, 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 baby. So they go and they do the sacrifice. Elkanah is righteous. So part of the sacrifice they would do, I, I just, I love this. So you think in your head, like sacrifice, like you probably take the cow and you give it to the people and they go and they do their thing with it, right? Kind of like we do the offering. Like you bring the offering and you put it in and... You know, if you're at a church of 20,000 people, you have no idea who's making the decision about that money, right? You just kind of offer it, and off it goes. That's not how sacrifices were done according to Leviticus 7, which is where they detail this offering that he would do. Not saying you need to rewrite the bylaws of Westminster Church of Evansville. But this is pretty entertaining how the sacrifice works. So you would bring it. So let's say my family is going to bring the sacrifice. I'm going to bring a sacrifice for my family. We bring a whole bunch of flour. We bring a whole bunch of oil. We bring a cow or some sheep. 
and it's like taking it out to day weeks. You give it all to the priests, and the priests chop it all up and do all the things and mix it up, and they make bread, and they make tortillas, and they cut up the cow a whole bunch, and they cook it all, and we all wait outside and just worship the Lord. When all the priests are done, they take a part for themselves that they're supposed to. They take a part that they burn up, and then they bring all the cooked goods out to us. And we set up outside. We might set up at a house nearby. We might set up right outside in the yard. And we all have a big old barbecue picnic with our sacrifice. So the sacrifice that we brought... It's not given and then we never see it again and now we go on our business. We bring our sacrifice and then we enjoy our sacrifice. It says, eat it in the presence of the Lord. We eat with God the sacrifice that we brought. And so picture the scene. Here's Elkanah. He's got Hannah that he loves. So he's like holding hands with her, walking along with her. And then Penina and her 50 million kids are following along behind. All right, they got a couple cows, right? They give it all to, the, to uh, Phineas and, and uh, Eli and all of them. They go do their sacrificing thing. They're having Sunday school out on the grass. They come out and he gives, and Elkanah is just so happy. Like, it's like when we celebrate, Sometimes we go to Five Guys, Burgers and Fries, and that's like a celebration. And the kids are like, I want a grilled cheese. I'm like, no, get a double. Let's celebrate. We're celebrating. Let's have leftovers. Well, that's what Elkanah, he's celebrating this sacrifice that he's making. And so he's giving all the kids portions. And he's giving Panina portions. He's like, you're my second wife. But you're giving me all these kids, and I think it's great. Hannah, don't be sad. Look, I give you the, I'll give you the good. I'll give you the good steak, right? He gives her a double portion. He just he loves her so much. He probably has a little pity for her and some compassion for her and some sympathy for her. But he loves her so much. Panina, on the other hand, is jealous. This is total soap opera, right? Panina is jealous that Elkanah loves Hannah, even though Panina's giving her all, giving him all these kids. And so she's always jabbing and taunting. Oh man, it sure is hard raising all these kids, right? Just man, I wonder how much he's going to divide the inheritance between all my kids. On and on, just rubbing it in. It says it goes on year by year. Every year they went up to the sacrifice. She would provoke her and pester her. So Hannah is weeping. She can't even eat. She's just so distraught. This whole, the whole point of the celebration and the sacrifice is to eat it. She can't even eat it. She's so upset. And Elkanah is trying to soothe her. Why don't you eat? Don't be sad. Aren't I worth more to you than ten sons? She's like, yeah, but I want kids. So they eat, and Hannah gets up and leaves the party and goes back to the tabernacle. 
And she is so worked up that she just prays. And she just prays and prays. And she's moving her mouth. And you can just imagine, I don't know if you've ever been in this state where you're just praying so fervently for something and somebody sees you and you're a little embarrassed because you were just getting a little carried away with how you were praying. I think that's one reason Jesus says when you pray, go into your closet, go hide and pray. Because you can just pray real. You can pray fully, expressively with God that you're not embarrassed about somebody looking at you, seeing you, right? So she goes. It says... uh, She went and she was deeply distressed. This is verse 10. She was deeply distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She is just beside herself with prayer. There's a lot of times, you you know, if you read the Old Testament, and you get bogged down in Leviticus, and you get bogged down in Numbers, and it all seems really weird, you think, did these people ever just pray? Like, just pray, pray? Or were they always doing this? They very much really prayed. They very much were, were uh, moved, emotional people of, of prayer. That they, Their prayers weren't fitting into categories or rules. If you read Psalms, it's really easy to read Psalms like it's literature. It is well, my Lord. Behold the vast sea. No. Um, a lot of the Psalms were written really passionately and expressively and then they just got translated into churchese for us so she is passionate she's praying with all of her soul and Eli sees her and thinks she's a drunk lady that's just lost her mind how about that so on one hand I'm not going to spoil anything but we know about Eli Eli was not a righteous priest. And the fact that he is running off this crazy drunk lady that's praying so expressively shows that he's kind of lost his discernment about what kind of people are coming and how to deal with them. He's got his own own thing, but that'll come up later. So she's praying. He's watching her. Here's what she prays. O Lord of hosts. Remember we heard that earlier. Lord of hosts. She prays it. Lord of hosts. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant. Remember me. And don't forget me. But give me a son. She says like four times in here. She says your servant. Your servant. She's like Lord I want to give you everything. I want to serve you with all my heart and soul. Don't forget me. Give me a son. I will give him right back to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor will touch his head. And he'll never shave his head. He'll never cut his hair. What? What does that have to do with anything? Right? So she wants a son so bad. She's saying, God, I will make him so holy to you. That I won't try to make him look good. I won't try to adorn him. I won't try to fix him in any way for people. He will be all yours. The other part of this goes back to a Nazarite vow, which was a time where if I really wanted to pray 
pray and draw close to the Lord, I could, I could do a Nazarite vow and I would, you know, me and Jim would go to the temple and Jim would take a whole bunch of money and give it as a sacrifice and then I'd shave my head. And the priest would say, this begins your Nazarite vow. And for that Nazarite vow time, I wouldn't eat any wine. I'd have no wine. And remember, in the Bible, everywhere wine is a symbol of joy. So I'm miserable, and I'm afflicting myself, and I'm fasting, and I'm praying to the Lord. Long enough, for enough time, that at the end of my vow, I'm going to go and shave my head again. So there's going to be enough hair to grow. I'm going to shave my head again. Jim's going to go with me. And he's going to pay for this whole other big sacrifice. And the hair that's shaved off is holy and part of the sacrifice. All right, so why am I bringing Jim into this? This whole thing, it was so expensive to do a Nazarite vow, you had to have somebody else come with you. And they would represent a hundred sponsors that would all be helping and cheering for you and praying for you. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing when he got arrested in Jerusalem. He shaved his head and he was making a vow. We don't know what he was praying for, what his vow was. Um, he was doing the shaved head thing. So it was still happening in Paul's day. So she is saying... I'm going to be so Nazarite. He's going to be so holy. I'm never going to cut his hair. He will always grow his hair. He will always be dedicated to the Lord. And that's where Eli steps in. Run along, drunk lady. Get out of here. And she says, I am not drunk. No, I am troubled in my spirit. Don't regard me as worthless, she says. I am praying out of my great anxiety. Now, Eli did not know what she prayed. She didn't pray out loud. And he says to her, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. May God answer your prayers. <gasps> she says, May I find favor in your eyes. This is just a greeting they have. And then she leaves and her face was no longer sad. She comes back. I love this because Eli doesn't know what he is doing to himself. He doesn't know what he's establishing that's going to affect him here in about four years. And he tells the lady, may God answer your prayers. God works even through corrupt, evil people. Because Eli is corrupt and evil. I know I keep ruining that. We're going to find out later that Eli is corrupt and evil. Sorry. But God even works through him. God even, God's purposes won't be stopped by evil people. God continues to accomplish his purpose. Now evil people might mess up the timeline a little bit, but God is still doing it. He's still accomplishing it. So can you imagine the meal, this whole mess of kids, they're all eating steak, Elkanah is trying to keep everybody happy. He's worshiping. His wife is all upset. Come on, baby. What's the matter? Why are you so sad? Eat some food. Eat a double burger. This is delicious. She runs off. Uh, she comes back happy as can be. 
They get up early in the morning, they worship before the Lord, and then they go back home. Then Hannah gets pregnant. It is the answer to God's, it's the answer to her prayers. It is the answer to Eli saying, may God bless you. That would have shook everything, right? All of a sudden, Hannah's pregnant. She has, they've been married. So Hannah's been married to Elkanah longer than Penina. Penina's been married to Elkanah so long that they have a whole bunch of sons and daughters. And here comes a baby. What does this remind you of? How often in the scriptures is there somebody that can't have a baby? And God works. And God does something. And all of a sudden, right? Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Probably when um, Hagar, Hagar and Abraham had already had Ishmael. Ishmael was probably like 17 or 18 years older than Isaac was. So t- almost 20 years of waiting. Um, Samson was born to Samson's parents were holy and righteous people, but just didn't have a kid for forever, right? The whole thing that uh, John the Baptist's parents were old, right? It happens all over the place. But it's not about kids. So it is kids, and kids are happening, but it's not about kids. Because remember what kids represent. Having a son represents your inheritance, your longevity, the carrying on of all that you are and who your identity, right? So God in all of these is saying, I will always, you're you're eternal. I'll always provide a way for you to last for eternity. It's not just about kids. It's It's about your name, who you are. That we're going to live forever. It's a, it's a hint of heaven and eternal life. So, she has a baby. And it's time for the yearly sacrifice. And Hannah remembers, I said that if I had this baby, I would never cut his hair and I would offer him to the Lord. So she tells Elkanah, you guys go on without me. I'm not going to go until the the baby is weaned, like he's no longer nursing. And then I'm going to leave him there. I'm going to offer him to God. And so that's like, whoa, that's, I mean, we're not just eating steak and having a party here. We're, We're giving up a child to the Lord. And so they do it. And he goes for it. Uh, weaning age was probably three or four in this culture. So it's probably, uh, it's not like they're taking a baby into the place, but they are taking a four-year-old. And so they, they take him. Uh, let's see, this is verse 24. When she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull an ephah of flour, a skin of wine. She brought him to the house of the Lord of Shiloh, and the child was young. So she brings this whole big sacrifice. It's not the normal sacrifice. And this is just for little Samuel. And she goes up to Eli. And she's like, Eli, I don't know if you remember me, 
But I was praying here with all kinds of fervency, and you thought I was drunk, and you ran me off, and I said I wasn't drunk, and you said, may God answer your prayers. And he's probably like me, and he's like, oh yeah, I remember that. Really vaguely, right? But he might remember that. And she explains it, and the miracle, and she's like, so now I am bringing him here to leave him to be raised in the Lord. For this child I prayed, the Lord has granted me, therefore I have lent him to the Lord. Verse 28, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Samuel worshiped the Lord. How holy and wonderful is her attitude? Before we had our first child, uh, I had a mentor. He was one of my groomsmen. And he's like, Dan, when you have that baby, here's what you do. And he was really weird. And he influenced me in a lot of good ways. And he told me a lot of weird things. And, and we've done all of them. And he's like, after you have your baby, after all the nurses have left and everything's done, you're going to be sitting in there and that baby's going to be well fed and it's going to have a clean diaper and it's just going to be so still and so quiet. And in that moment, you just offer that baby up to the Lord. And he's like, I know church has baby dedication and they have baptisms and all that, but the very day that baby's born, you just hold that baby and say, God, this baby is yours first. Isn't that crazy? So we did it. That was simple. That was so easy. Because where are we? We're in St. Mary's. They're like renovating. It's like cozy. I had a horrible bed. They didn't care about dads. Side comment. Um, but it was so easy. We had like heated blankets and the whole bit. That was only the beginning, right? I'm, like I'm telling you guys anything. You guys know this like 10 times more than me. Taking that child and offering them to the Lord when they're 15, that child's a lot heavier. And that offering is a lot heavier, right? Offering that child when they are 20, but he's, that's, that was the attitude she had. I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is on loan to God. My child that God gave me, but I can trust. What do you do when you loan somebody something? When you guys loans, like, okay, first of all, you trust that person you're loaning it to, right? Depending on how much you love that person, when you get the thing back, do you check it out and look it over? Hmm. This thing scratched up. Did you dent the wheels? Did you dull the blade? Hannah trusted the Lord of hosts to take care of her only son that on loan, which means she's going to get him back. Remember the whole nature of sacrifices wasn't you give it and forget about it. And somebody, some church trustee somewhere takes care of it. You give it to the priest. The priests prepare it and then you enjoy it. She is giving her son for the priest to prepare him so that he will come back and she will enjoy 
what he has. What is this? This is our lives, right? This is Romans 12.1. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. We offer ourselves to God. He gave us our life, but we offer it to Him as a sacrifice. And what does He do? He shapes it and He makes it great. And He gives it back to us for us to enjoy it. This is the pattern of sacrifice with Yahweh God. With the Lord of hosts. we got to talk about the Lord of hosts. So there's this rule in Bible study that whenever something's mentioned for the first time in the Bible, you got to really pay attention to it. Okay? The first time the phrase Lord of hosts shows up in the whole Bible is right here in 1 Samuel. So Lord, he's called Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. He's called, you know, the God who hears to... Um, when they're in the desert, she's running and she has Ishmael. Hannah has Ishmael. And she, she calls out to God, God who hears. Right here is the first mention of the Lord of hosts. What does Lord of hosts mean? The God of the armies. And it's not just like if you're in Israel, like right now, um, you join the... I can't say the word. The word that you... The army in Israel that you would join right now if you were an Israeli boy growing up is the word Adonai Tzavoat the God of the armies the God and it's not just God of army it's God of all armies all ruling remember when this is happening Israel doesn't have a king there's no one leading Israel it's the time of the judges everybody's doing whatever they please the Philistines are coming and taking stuff away. They're just, they're victims in every way. And the God that rules over all armies is named. And the first time he's named, he answers our prayers. And he answers our prayers in a mighty way. He answers Hannah's prayer. He hears her. That's what Samuel means. God hears and he answers her prayer in the best way possible. She takes the answer to her prayers and makes it a living sacrifice to God. And that living sacrifice of giving Samuel to live there is eventually going to bring about the creation of the king of Israel. The king will come and, and rule. Isn't this awesome? Like how this whole thing plays out. And it's totally our lives, you guys. The, the king of glory, the, the prince of peace, he comes into our lives. As we pray to God, he answers our prayers and we offer those answers back to him. And he gives that sacrifice back to us to enjoy. And then we live it out and the king reigns and the king rules. So this is what we're doing for the next 28 Sundays. All through 1 Samuel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. You are so good to us, Lord. That you do hear our prayers. And that you answer. That you give us a way to offer our whole lives to you. But you don't take it. It's an exchange. And you give us back this enhanced, enhanced, wonderful life. Living in you. 
I pray that you would bless us, Lord, and you would guide us. You would bring these things to mind. If we're troubled like Hannah was, so troubled that we pray like crazy drunk people, that we would also see you answer our prayers and that we would act and, and live that out. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. All right. I didn't grab the insert. There's an extra. Did you guys get an insert? Do you want these? Let's sing.